Well, about an hour later, the painter again rang the front doorbell and told the owner he was finished and ready to have his work inspected. The uh, homeowner was a little amazed that he got it, you know, got the, the job done in an hour's time and questioned him about that. He said, well, I work fast. And uh, by, by the way, that, uh, that car that you wanted me to paint back there was not a Porsche, but a Mercedes-Benz. Good, you laughed. Whenever you tell something like that, you're never sure people are going to get it. <laughs> but uh, we find that sometimes the message that is sent is not the same as the message that people receive. This little story demonstrates that fact. And my prayer is that the message that uh, sent to us by God in the book of Romans, which we began studying back in October of 2016 with some breaks here and there for other things. My prayer is that we all pick up on that message of just how wonderful our God is in saving us, for recognizing the need that we have, all having sinned and come short of the glory of God, unable to redeem ourselves, unable to save ourselves, but God has wondrously provided for us a way of redemption by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son left heaven's throne behind, became fully man, continuing to be fully God, went to the cross at Calvary, and there he died for my sins and for your sins and paid our penalty completely as he died there on that cross to the point where he could cry out, it is finished. Tetelestai is the Greek term means literally paid in full. It's paid in full. God has paid for our redemption in full. And I hope that we all get it. If we get it, we're not just walking away from saying, well, boy, Romans is an interesting book. Boy, Pastor, we did a nice job presenting the book of Romans. But if we get it, we're going to be thrilled with God and thrilled with what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul got it. And here as he closes out the, the book of Romans, he, he goes into a doxology, a, a, a statement, of, of a song really of, of praise to the Lord. That's what verses 25 to 27 is all about. There have been others who have shown that they got it when they have contemplated the, the wonder of God and his gospel. A fellow by the name of Louis Bourgeois uh, wrote the following lines which were originally published in the Geneva Psalter of 1551, 467 years ago. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That ring a bell? What do we call that? We call that the doxology, right? Uh, that's one statement of praise and, and glory to God. Here's another one in the end of Romans chapter 16. We sang another one from Romans chapter 11 this morning. All of them have the same thing in common. They recognize how wonderful God is and, and what an amazing thing God has done for us in, in providing for us His wonderful redemption. In these last several verses, we read Paul's doxology, his expression of praise and 
appreciation for God and the, the glorious gospel. And this morning we want to consider four of the, the characteristics that stand out particularly in, in the gospel that cause Paul and hopefully will cause us to break out in praise to God for his gospel. The first thing Paul mentions is the fact the gospel establishes men. It says in verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. God establishes men. God establishes men through the gospel. That, that term establish means to uh, to make solid, to make firm, to firmly root, to ground. And it's a, it means that we can have a, a settledness and a certainty about God and our relationship with him. Unsaved man has no certainty about God or his relationship with him. They're, they're kind of like the man that's described in 2 Timothy 3, 7, who is ever learning but never really able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Sometimes you talk to people about, you know, do you know you're going to go to heaven? Do you know things are right with you and God? And, and some of the saddest words you hear people say is when they say, well, I hope so. Or, or, or I think so. But that's not unusual. And the good news is it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be a hope so kind of thing or a, a think so kind of thing. It's an area where we can be established. But we can only have that establishment, that firm rooting in our relationship with God through the gospel and through what God's done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. John MacArthur says, no one but a Christian can be certain about God, certain about his truth, certain about his standards of righteousness, certain about his love and care, or certain about being with him throughout eternity. Only genuinely converted can say with Paul, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Isn't it great to be able to say something like that? I know that I've committed my soul to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know when I see God face to face, he's going to say to me, well done, faithful servant, enter into my joy. Isn't that great to be able to be established? And we need that because we... Go back in the early chapters of the book of Romans and we find out that we all start out with a problem, a sin problem. Nobody seeks after God, no, not one. We come to the conclusion that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody's lived a life in and of themselves, nor can they to make ourselves acceptable to God. We only have one hope. We only have one, one prayer, and that hope and prayer is Jesus Christ, faith in Christ, the gospel, that the, the good news of the gospel. And that, that's the means of being established. Paul says here in, in verse 25, now to him was able to establish you according to, to my gospel. And uh, you, know, you, you kind of ponder a little bit, what's he talking about, my gospel? Now, wait a minute, isn't this God's gospel? Well, yeah, it's God's gospel. It's God's good news. But, but God's good news is good news for Paul. And God's good news is good news for you and me. And we can say along with Paul, we can use that phrase, my gospel. The gospel is my gospel. For Paul, it had been revealed to him. You know, he thought Jesus was a blasphemer at one point. 
and he persecuted the Christians and the church, and Jesus Christ got a hold of him on the Damascus Road, and he came to recognize that really it was true that Jesus really had died for his sins. He really could have forgiveness. He really could be cleansed. And he came into a relationship with Christ and became an apostle of Christ, whom the Lord used to plant many, many churches. And so Paul could refer to it as my gospel because it had been revealed to him by God, but it was revealed to him. It was Paul's gospel because he had applied it to his life. And it was good news for him. And it was also Paul's gospel in that it was the message that he proclaimed. And this morning, thank God, we can use that same kind of terminology that the Apostle Paul did, and you and I can speak about my gospel, my gospel in Jesus Christ, the, the good news that there is for me in Jesus Christ, because it's, it's good news that we can apply to our lives. I don't care what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned, what kind of sins you're guilty of. The good news is Christ died for it on the cross of Calvary. Christ paid for it when he shed his blood for you. He died for every one of our sins. Every place where we've messed up, he's taken care of it. And he just calls upon us to repent of our sin and put our faith in him. We find that uh, we're established through this, this preaching of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul talks about here. The gospel is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel about him. It's the gospel of who he is and what he has done for us. So when Paul talks about the gospel, that's what he's talking about. So we find that first of all, the gospel establishes. It gives you something solid that you can stand on in this life and in eternity. There's a lot of things in this life that change, aren't there? Anybody know what your health is going to be tomorrow? Might be pretty good today. You don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. All it takes is a little bit of blood that doesn't get to your brain or a blowout in your brain. And, you, I mean, you're going to have a huge change that takes place in your life. We don't know what a day is going to bring forth. But I am so thankful that we can know that God doesn't change. We can know that God's new, good news is always God's good news. And if we've embraced Christ as our Savior, we belong. We belong to God. We're his child. We're part of his family. And we have good news that, that takes care of us, not just in this life, but through all of eternity. We find that the, the gospel also exegetes Jesus Christ. That word exegete means to, to reveal, to, to make known. Back in uh, seminary, I had to take classes in, in Greek exegesis of Galatians and 1 John and different other classes, and the idea was that you would, would see what's in those books. You'd be able to better understand what's in those books. And the gospel helps us to better understand what's in Jesus, better understand who Jesus is. He is fully God, and at the same time, he became fully man while continuing to be fully God. How can that be? I don't know. I, I didn't do it. It's not up to me to explain it. It's what the Word of God declares. But thank God, he became fully man so that he could die for man's sin on the cross at Calvary. And he continued to be fully God so that he could rise from the dead and, and prove that he is exactly who he claimed to be, 
and, and prove that he accomplished exactly what he said he was going to accomplish and taken our sin away from us as he died on the cross at Calvary. So we find that uh, there's a connection with the, uh, what we see back in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 where Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It's, it's the power of God to salvation, and it's all wrapped up in Christ. As we go through Romans, we find out that we can have justification in Christ. To be justified means to be, to be made righteous, to be right in God's eyes. That's what we read about in, in Romans 3 to 5. And that justification is by faith alone, faith in Christ alone. That's what Martin Luther was studying when the Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart and he put his faith in Christ and the, the Reformation got rolling and underway as he understood that the just live by faith. How do you get right with God? It's by faith because of God's grace. And that faith isn't just some, some nebulous, meaningless thing. Well, you just got to have faith. Well, the Bible is very clear that the most important thing about our faith is the object of our faith. And in order to be right with God, what must be the object? Of our, maybe I better express it this way. Who must be the object of our faith? Got to be Jesus. Amen? He's got to be the object of our faith. He's the only one who, who can make that possible for us. And through him, we can have justification. And good news, if you've taken Christ to be your Savior, you, you were declared righteous when that took place. You're already justified. We find also that through Jesus Christ, we can be sanctified. We, we can get power over sin. We don't have to be dominated by sin all through our lives. You know, there are a lot of people in the world today that are struggling with what the world calls addictions. And what the Bible speaks of a little more clearly is life-dominating sin. You know, the funny thing about sin, you start dabbling in it, and, and you think you can control it, you think you can handle it, and then before you know it, what happens? It's got a hold of you and dominates your life. Good news, we don't have to be dominated by sin. Because of what Christ did for us on the cross of Calvary, we can be delivered from the power of sin. We have freedom. And the freedom we can have in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we want to, but the freedom we have in Christ is the freedom to live the way that God designed us to live, to enjoy life the way that God designed us to enjoy life. It's the same kind of freedom that an airplane has when it, it, it flies in the sky. That's what it was designed to do. That airplane's got a whole lot more freedom when it's flying in the sky than when it's stuck in a hangar, right? And, and a locomotive's got a lot more freedom when it's, it's rolling down the tracks. When it gets off the tracks, what happens? It's in trouble. It's stuck. Well, a lot of people are stuck. They're off the tracks. They're not living according to the tracks that God laid out for them. But good news, through Jesus Christ, we can, we can be on those tracks. We can be on the right track. We can... Uh, be living to please God and enjoy our God forever. The Westminster Confession says the chief purpose of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. You know, that, that's what life's about. God created man to have fellowship with him. If you're living a life and you're not walking in fellowship with God, God's not part of your life, you're missing what life's all about. 
If you're just living life for yourself, you've got a huge void in your life. We, we, we need God right at the center of our life. We need Jesus at the center, at the hub, at the core of everything we say and everything we do. And the good news we read also, even better news, as we go through Romans in chapter 8, we find over there that one of these days we're also going to be glorified. Isn't that great? And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And one day we'll be glorified. You know what that means? That means freedom from the sin nature. Uh, no more sin nature at all. Now we still struggle it because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can overcome it, but we still have it. One of these days, good news, sin nature is going to be gone. One of these days, our, our bodies, we're going to have the adoption of our bodies whereby we have our bodies redeemed and we're delivered from these mortal, corruptible bodies and we are given glorified resurrection bodies like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know how long we can live in those bodies? Only forever. Only forever. We can't live in these bodies the way they are now forever. Now God's going to take these bodies and if we die, one of these days they'll be planted in the ground like a seed. But you know, you put a, a wrinkled old kernel of corn in the ground as a seed, and what happens? Something comes from it, right? We put a wrinkled old body in the ground, and one of these days, something's going to come from it, a glorified resurrection body like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even better news, if Jesus comes back before you and I pass away and leave this world through death, you know what's going to happen? We're going to be changed. How quickly? In the twinkling of an eye. How short is that? I don't know. <laughs> it's not very long, though. Changed in the twinkling of an eye and given glorified resurrection bodies like that of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul's all psyched up about this. And the fact of the matter is Jesus is the gospel. How do, how do we get all this? As he says here, now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The gospel is Jesus. Without Christ, there would be no good news. Without Christ, there would be no possibility of forgiveness. There would be no possibility of eternal life. There would be no possibility of heaven. It's all wrapped up in Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're told that there's one mediator. Between God and man. And who's that? That's the man, Christ Jesus. In, in Acts 4.12, we're told there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How many ways of salvation does the Bible teach? One way. One way. And it, it's Jesus. It's not Jesus coming to tell us the way. It's Jesus coming to be the way. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It, you know, there are religious teachers that come along and say, follow my teachings. Do what I tell you. Live a good life. Behave yourself. Do this religious activity. Do that religious activity. That's not what Jesus did, is it? He didn't just come to tell us what to do. He came to do something on our behalf. He said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and what? And to give my life a ransom for many. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came specifically 
to die for our sins. In fact, when they gave him the name Jesus, that God told Joseph and Mary, when that baby's born, that virgin-born son is, makes his entrance into this world, you, you give him this name, and that name is to be Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. He is the good news. He's the, he's the one that, and who, the only one whom we can have salvation. The gospel also exposes God's mystery. Verse 25 continues on, says, uh, a preach that talks about the preaching of Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest by the prophetic scriptures and has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. The, uh, the term mystery is used a number of places in the New Testament. And when we find the term mystery, it's, it's not talking about something that's an ongoing unknown. In fact, in Scripture, when you see the term mystery, it is referring each time to something that was unknown in the Old Testament, but is now known and revealed in the New Testament. And we're told that this whole matter of forgiveness of the whole world through Jesus Christ and his shed blood, there were things about that that were hidden and not fully seen from the beginning of the world. Now, there were things that kept pointing to it, but, but it wasn't fully seen. But now, the mystery that was hidden back then, you and I live in a place and in a time when we can fully see God's wonderful plan of redemption. If you go back to the Old Testament, you find that there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and they, they, they sinned, and, and the whole human race was, was plunged into sin and death and the curse. And uh, they tried to cover themselves. They used fig leaves, not a very good covering. It didn't work. And God comes looking for them. Not only did they try to cover themselves, but they tried to hide themselves from God. But God comes looking for them. And we find that they, God says, why, why are you hiding? Why are you running away from me? Well, we're naked and we're ashamed. And they tried to cover them. And God says, who told you? Well, the whole thing will come out about they'd rebelled against God and ate fruit that God told them not to eat. And God says, um, you're going to be out of the Garden of Eden, but I'm going to do something for you. And he made them coverings of skins. My belief is they probably wore wool. I think it was probably lambs that suffered and died. First death that ever took place in the history of the universe. Uh, those animals that died so that they could have those coverings. You and I get here, and we can look back on that, and we can say, hey, what a beautiful picture of what God does for my sins. I can't take care of my own sins, so what did God do? He sent a substitute. He came as a substitute Jesus came as a substitute. He came as the Lamb of God 
and shed his blood so that my sins can not just be covered, they can be washed away. Isn't that great? You think Adam and Eve had that all figured out? I don't think so. I think the only thing they could figure out was, man, we really blew it. And, and yeah, we got this covering on. You know, I'm not hanging out all naked and everything again here now, but, but those poor animals over there, they died. They died because I sinned. I, I'm, I'm sure they didn't know all about Calvary. They didn't know all about what was going to happen there. They didn't know all about God himself becoming our propitiation, dying on that cross of Calvary. You move on a little further, and you got a guy by the name of Abraham. God says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And they, they go up to Mount Moriah, and Abraham's ready to, to make the sacrifice. And, and Isaac says, well, Father, we got, the, we got the fire and we got the wood and everything, but, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham made a statement, and he didn't know the, he didn't know the fullness of what he's going to say. But he says, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. And as he's ready to go ahead and take Isaac's life and offer him as a sacrifice, what happened? God speaks, Abraham, don't. And Abraham looks over, and there's a, there's a ram caught in the thick. A, a substitute to take Isaac's place. You think Abraham knew how to make that full connection to God the Son dying for us on the cross at Calvary? I don't think he did. It was hidden. You and I get to see it. Don't we have a great seat in history? Aren't we in a wonderful position as we can look back at these Old Testament things and, and also look at Jesus? How about the Passover lamb? Wow. There's one for you. The Jews are captive in, in Egypt. And God's going to bring them deliverance and, and, and bring them into the, the promised land. And, but before that, the, there's going to, got to be another plague. Pharaoh was a stubborn man. He had a hard heart. And God said the death angel is going to come through the land. And wherever the, the, there's no blood applied to the doorpost and the lentils, the firstborn in that family will die, whether it's it's of animals in the family, whether it be human beings in the family or whatever. But where you slay a lamb and you apply the blood to the doorpost and the lentils, wherever that's, that blood's applied, the death angel will pass over. There'll be no judgment. Now, what a beautiful picture Passover is uh, to exactly what happens in, in Christ, who's called in the New Testament, our Passover. Well, how's Jesus our Passover? He shed his blood on the cross. And the blood needs to be applied. Not to our house, not to our doorposts, not to our lentils. But where does that blood need to be applied? It needs to be applied to our, to our hearts. Where we take him as Savior by faith. And when that happens, the judgment of God passes over us. The bad news, folks is that everybody that's ever entered into this world stands under the judgment of Almighty God. That's the bad news. No exception. Here's the good news. Where the blood's applied, the judgment passes over us because that judgment's already been poured out on our Savior. Is that good news or what? And... Do you think the Jews had that all figured out when they, they went through their Passover feast? I don't think so. But here where we are, 
we get to look back because the mystery has been revealed. God providing for sinners. God's been providing for sinners all through the, the time that he's had people on this earth. And it always came down. His provision was, was what he gave and it involved the shedding of blood. And it involved man responding with faith. They, they had to have faith in what God said and respond to it. The Jews, in order to, to have the death angel pass over their house, they had to believe what God said and apply that blood. What was somebody said, well, I'm not putting any blood on my doors. What's that going to do? That's not going to accomplish anything. And really, putting a little blood on your house, what, what, you know, what's that going to do for you? Why did it do something? Because God told them to. And they were acting in faith and obedience to what God told them to do. The mystery has been revealed. And now the truth has been revealed. Oh, that mystery has been being spread and, and clarified to all the nations, Gentiles as well as, as Jews. And here we are, millennia later, almost 2,000 years since Jesus died, and, and we're looking to him for our forgiveness. We're looking to him for our eternal life. Whether we're Jew, Gentile, Italian, German, whatever, no, doesn't matter. That nation, is, that, that message, that good news is for every single nation everywhere and involves obedience to faith. And that's the result of the spreading of that message of the truth of the gospel. You know, it comes to it. It, it says that the mystery kept secret since the world began but now has been made manifest by the scriptures, and, and we get a look at the scriptures like those people didn't really understand them. It's been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience to the faith. What's the commandment of, the, of God? What's the commandment of God? Not the Ten Commandments. The commandment of God is that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be saved. That's the commandment of God. And, and we obey in faith. That's how we respond to that commandment of God. And when we do that, good news. Good news. We get forgiveness. We get eternal life. The gospel. The good news. The good news that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. The good news that Christ died for, rose again the third day according to the scripture. That's the gospel. He's taking care of our sins. What a great thing that is. That gospel concerning the person of the Lord Jesus Christ exalts God because of his, his wisdom. Verse 27, to God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. God's wise. God came up with that plan of salvation. Adam didn't. Eve didn't. It wasn't a matter after they fell that they discussed with each other, okay, what do we do now? Well, we somehow prevail upon God to come into this world and be our redeemer. No, that's not the case. In fact, God knew before he ever created man, man was going to fall. And Christ is pictured in the scriptures as the Lamb of God who was slain when? Before the foundation of the world. God's wise. We sang that song a little while ago from Romans 11. Wow, what a statement. Is God a little smarter than we are? My arms won't go wide enough. And how do we see that? In his wonderful plan of redemption. I like that song they sing at Christmas time when, 
and talks about sending a baby. What a strange way to save the world. But God sent his son. God himself came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Gave himself on Calvary's cross. God's unique. He's only wise. He's the only one that has wisdom like God is God himself. There are other things and other beings that people worship, but God's the only true and living God of all the universe. The gospel exalts God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God, isn't he? He is God. And it exalts him how long? Forever. 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 You know, how, how do we walk away from what we learn here in the book of Romans? Well, I think the only proper way to walk away from it is amen. Amen. You know, know what amen means? It means let it be. It means I believe it. That's so. And I, I hope that's our response. God, let it be true in my life. It, it's, it's so in my life. I believe it. I, can be, I, I know that I'm a sinner and that I've come short of your glory. I know I've come short of your standard. I know that I have. But I thank you for sending Jesus so that I can be justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law. Thank you, God, for doing that for me. Thank you that whom you, whom you called, you sanctified, whom you called, you justified, who you justified. And, Lord, thank you for those that you sanctified, you also glorified. If we know Christ as Savior, we're as good as glorified in the eyes of God. What a great thing that is. How do you respond to that? Well, if you're here and you've never taken Christ to be your Savior, I hope you'll say amen. I want Jesus as my Savior today. If you're here today and you know Christ as Savior, I pray that you'll say amen. Thank God for saving me. What a great salvation you've given to me. What a great God you are. And I hope nobody will walk out of this auditorium this morning. And the condition that somebody said to you, are you going to heaven when you leave this world? Are your sins forgiven? Are you right with God? I hope nobody will walk out of this auditorium and say, I hope so. Or I think so. Because Romans is all about, we don't have to say, I think so. I hope so. We can say, I know so. I know whom I believe. That's Jesus Christ. And I'm persuaded. He is able to keep my soul that I've committed to him till the day that I see him. And I'll be with him for all of eternity. May we say amen to the glory of God and his gospel with our mouths. Can you say amen? Hey, that didn't hurt, did it? A little bit louder. Amen. All right. Now, let's go out here and say with our lives. Show that we believe it with the way that we live our lives. By the hope and faith that we demonstrate in God day by day as we walk through this life. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for providing a, a glorious salvation through the Son of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess we don't understand how Jesus could be fully God, how he could be fully man, how our sins could be transferred to him, and we could get his righteousness. But, Father, we believe those things because they are declared to us in your word, their promises you've given, we believe it, we accept it, we say amen, and we rejoice in it. And Father, we pray if there's anybody with us today that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, they would surrender their heart and life to him, even this very moment.
telling you know, they know they're a sinner and they need a Savior, and they want to take Jesus to be that Savior. May they do that even at this moment right now. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.